Uh, it's so good to see you all here this morning. And we've got a little bit of good news to share with you as we kick off this morning. This is Robert and Anita Meek. Uh, they've decided to place membership here with us at Bentonville. Robert and Anita, are you with us this morning? Put a hand up. They're right back here. Let's welcome them. It was so good to meet them recently at one of our lunches, and you can of what we're doing next month. In the month of August, we're going to take the world's fastest take on the book of Acts. We're going to call it Acts in four parts, and in the one month, we're going to cover the book together. Now, here's what, if you know Acts at all, you'll recognize. We won't be able to read all of it. We're not trying to read all of it. We're going to look at the major storylines in the book of Acts and what the church was doing fueled by the Spirit to fulfill Jesus' mission to take the good news to the ends of the earth. And so as we do that, we're going to have a chance in August to read the book of Acts together at home so that you are getting a chance to see everything in the book throughout the month. And so the challenge for next Sunday, August 5th, is to read the first seven chapters of Acts this week. It's pretty short and sweet. It won't take you a ton of time. If you do a little bit every day or take three days and read a couple chapters each, you'll knock out these seven chapters. And then next week, I'll preach on chapters one through seven. We'll do that each week throughout the month. And so that next week, I'll give you the chapters for the week ahead. It'll be 8 to 12, 13 to 20, 21 to 28, and we'll go through the book that way. I'm excited about this because the early church lived in a time and in a spiritual posture in which they knew what their mission was, and they knew what the fuel for the mission was, and they were about doing it, not just talking, but working together. And God did amazing things through them and to them as they followed him and obeyed him. So next month, Acts in four parts. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that you will too. But today, we have the opportunity to finish the book of Ephesians, our study called In One Life that we have been going through for three months now. It's the longest sermon series that I have preached while I've been here serving you these last couple of years in this capacity, and the ministry team has enjoyed going through this whole book together. I personally was encouraged and uplifted and fed by Todd Miller's sermon last week when he talked about the spiritual armor, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And it was encouraging to many of you to see Todd up here with children from the congregation as he walked them through the hand motions of putting on the different pieces of the armor of God. And so today, we get to finish this book and pick up right where Todd left off in Ephesians 6, verse 18. And so if you would open your Bibles or the app on your phone to Ephesians 6, 18, we'll be there together in just a moment. But here's what we're going to discover today in the text about prayer that Paul concludes the letter with. For Paul, prayer is the basic posture for strength and alertness. You see, for Paul, prayer is a posture that we take. It's not just an action that we perform. Now, prayer has many different postures. Some people pray standing. In fact, traditional Jewish prayers were often said standing. 
Jesus in the scriptures sometimes turns his face towards heaven to pray. And so you can picture a posture of prayer that Jesus might have embodied in his flesh, where he raised his arms and he looked towards heaven and he prayed. Other people might pray kneeling. Many cultures have a a posture of kneeling in prayer. Maybe here in your uh, world, in your life, you might kneel when you pray next to the bed of your child at nighttime. Some cultures have a, a posture of prayer where they lay down on their face on the ground. So I thought it would be fun for all of us to do that this morning. Are you ready? (laughs) Just kidding. But really, some people pray with their face on the ground. And one time, for a short period of time, I was part of a small group at Harding where the men who were leading that group led us to pray laying face down on the floor. We got really intimate with the carpet in that house. And thankfully, they were good at cleaning. And we would lay face down on that carpet, and we would lay in a circle, and we would close our eyes, and we would pray one at a time going around the circle in a way that just put us in a position, a physical posture position before God that was very, very unusual for us to do in public, to lay face down in front of people, and really to keep our eyes and our heads down in a way that we were giving our thoughts and our attention and our concentration to God. And many of you are most familiar with with this posture, with folded hands, closed eyes, head down, so that you can focus on the prayer. And let's be honest, for some of us, postures work. For some of us, they don't. Some of us, prayer is a difficult thing, and it's okay to admit that. Even all of the folding hands and the closing of eyes and the bowing of heads, sometimes prayer is still really boring for you, and that's okay because it's something that we're working on together. But there's also a spiritual posture to prayer. When you move from physical posture into spiritual posture, what we mean really is it's a preparation of the soul. Posture in many ways in our everyday life is a preparation for activity. For instance, when you go into an interview You might think about standing up straighter, putting your shoulders back, walking with confidence, extending your hand and shaking it with a good, firm, medium grip. Nobody likes the grip that crushes. Nobody likes the limp, dead fish grip. Posture matters, doesn't it? You get this handshake right here, and you want to smack that thing and say, wake up! Is there life there, right? Come on, we want a little bit of life In this interview, same thing when you're holding hands with people in prayer. Have you ever been unequally yoked in prayer? You got the hand on one side crushing and the hand on the other side that's dead, and you're thinking there's so much life in this Christian, I wish he could share a little with this guy, right? Every time the prayer starts to pick up the pace a little bit and we hear Jesus or the Holy Spirit, this guy crushes a little more. This guy never moves. Posture matters. In fact, we could practice it together this morning. So let's do one little activity. Just kind of roll your shoulders back, sit up straight in your pew, and I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose, all the way up, and then out through your mouth. Ready? It's just one. Breathing and posture. Some of you even spend a lot of time and a lot of money going to classes that teach you postures to strengthen your body and help you breathe, yoga classes or other kind of workouts. 
that help your body improve its posture. They say that people who have a good posture believe what they're writing more than people who slouch at their desk. A study from Ohio State University has demonstrated that people writing a resume for a job believe what they're saying more if they have good posture while they write it. So how, how does Paul talk about a spiritual posture of prayer that will help you have confidence in your prayer life, that will help you have health in your prayer life, that will help move your spiritual being in the same way that your physical body can be moved by the way that you position it. Paul writes in the verses immediately after the armor of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And this is from the NIV that a lot of us read from, and it's a great version, it's an excellent version, but I wanted to share with you from the ESV today because it more closely mirrors the Greek structure of this sentence. The ESV reads, uh, stand therefore, in verse 14, back in the armor part, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, and then he lists all of the armors that Todd preached about last week. And when he gets, comes to verse 18, he says, praying at all times, as if it's an ongoing action. And what's happening here in the Greek with this word pray that in the NIV became a new sentence just because Paul's sentences get so long that they're hard to read, is they broke the sentence into a new sentence for you for ease of reading in English. But in this original sentence, Paul is saying, the way that you take your stand wearing this armor is in a posture of praying. He says that the way that you take the sword of salvation, the other imperative in this sentence, is through the posture of praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Again, that's the ESV. And so quite literally, this is part of the armor of God passage, even though prayer itself isn't a piece of the armor. It is the battle stance. For the person wearing all of these righteous armors of God, they aren't cowering in fear. They aren't kneeling in submission to the dark powers. They aren't fleeing away from the battle lines of the spiritual battle. They are standing, according to verse 14, grounded in prayer. This would be like what they teach soldiers to do today when they teach them the appropriate motions and stances to keep their feet in hand-to-hand -hand conflict. Paul says that the way the Christian does it is through prayer. And for some of you, you're thinking, but I'm not so good at prayer. How am I going to win spiritual victories in my life because I don't feel like I'm good at prayer and you're saying that prayer is the battle stance? Paul has some help for you here 
Because prayer is the basic posture for strength and alertness, he's going to give us some ideas in this letter and in his other letters about how you can practice and train to have the spiritual posture of prayer that makes you ready for the enemy's attacks, that makes the armor that Todd gave you last week effective because you're standing in the line with your fellow Christian soldiers. And by the way, this is just a free little side note. All of the armor of God that we learned about last week is not the armor of God merely because it's a spiritual teaching. It's the armor of God because in the book of Isaiah, God sees some injustice in the world and he straps on his armor and goes to the defense of the defenseless. It is the armor of God because he is the one who wore it first in Isaiah's preaching. And so here you are standing in the line with your fellow Christian soldiers arrayed in the armor of God, and one in the line is God himself in his own armor. Prayer is the basic posture for strength and alertness. And look at these other scriptures where Paul gives us some clues about how you can do it. The first thing has to do with some frequency. Praying constantly. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful in Colossians 4.2. Again, that's a companion letter to Ephesians, both written from jail at approximately the same time, maybe even circulated at the same time. And so he says, keep watchful, alert, through the posture of prayer. It's what keeps your organs in line, standing up with your shoulders back, breathing well. Spiritually, prayer is what keeps you spiritually in line, breathing in the Holy Spirit, breathing out the Holy Spirit. It's what keeps you breathing well, spiritually. And again, we can pray at all times. To pray constantly means you might want to pray a little bit at bedtime when you're laying down physical posture. You might want to pray at the morning when you're standing up, maybe a short prayer. One of my friends has this prayer that he gives every morning. God, help me be aware of what you have for me today. That's his stand-up prayer in the morning. He says it, he stands up, he starts his day. Every day, God, help me be aware of what you have for me today. Stands up to begin the day. It might be that you pray while you're driving in your car as you're praying constantly, and that's a seated position, and that's okay. If you pray while you're driving in the car, take to heart Jesus' command, watch and pray. (laughs) Don't close your eyes. You see, praying in the Spirit is on all occasions. Look at the four alls in this verse. All occasions... With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You can very easily remember this. It's just all occasions and all kinds, always for all God's people, all His saints, for alls. We can't always keep it. I'm a little bit ashamed as a preacher to say there's times that I pray and I fall asleep while I'm praying. There's times that I start praying 
and I'm a sentence or two in and my thoughts get distracted by something else that's going on. I call them the jumping monkeys in my mind. And before you know it, those monkeys are eating bananas and throwing things at me and jumping from branch to branch in, in, the, in my mind and the trees in the branches there. And, I'm, and then all of a sudden, I, just, I come back and I was like, I was praying and now I'm thinking about all these other selfish things. How do they even let me preach? But no matter where you're at right now, listen to this. To move towards all just means to take one significant step. Just add one time. If the monkeys are bouncing around in your mind, just let them be there. And turn back to your prayer and say, God, I guess I don't have it right now, but I'll just say a short one. Help me to learn how to pray more. All times and all ways and all people and all requests just means take a little step. Look at other ways that Paul says it. Rejoice in your hope, he wrote to the Romans. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. To the Thessalonians, he said, rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. And I love this quote. It comes from Federica Matthews Green. She's written some books on prayer and some other articles that uh, I've seen recently circulating online. But she has a great little book about uh, the Jesus prayer. We'll talk about it in a minute. And she said, Paul must have thought this message was important to pray constantly because he said it to four different communities, the Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, and Thessalonians. It must have been one of the points he emphasized regularly. And he must have thought it was possible he wouldn't have kept on telling these early believers to pray constantly if they were humanly incapable of doing so. You see, you and I are going to always have limits, but that doesn't mean we cannot make progress. Paul gives an example of praying constantly in the letter that we've read these last three months. It's all the way back in Ephesians chapter 1, but today I was hoping that we would tie this one last thread together in the book. He wrote to the Ephesians as he kicked off the letter, his prayer for them. It's one of two prayers for them in the book. He said, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Now, Paul probably didn't mean that the only prayer he had said out loud every second of every day for the last several months was only, thank you for the Ephesians. Thank you for the Ephesians. Thank you for the Ephesians all day long, every day. By constantly, he means continually. I come back to it. When I get distracted, if I start to forget about you, Ephesians, God brings my mind back to you. And I take up again the posture of my spiritual defense for you, and then I pray, God, I've forgotten about the Ephesians for the last couple of days, but I am praying now for them, that you would strengthen them. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
And that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over the body, his church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul says, that's how I pray for the Ephesians. How would you feel if you knew that somebody was praying for you that way? I mean, when somebody tells you they're praying for you, a lot of times they probably mean, I'm praying for the specific illness in your life. I'm praying for the sorrow you've experienced. I'm praying for the request that you wrote on the card and turned into the church. You said you wanted prayers and prayed for, so I've been praying for you, and that is wonderful. But what if somebody came to you and they looked you in the eye and they said, you know what, I've been praying for you. I've been praying that you would experience the same power that God used when he raised Christ from the dead and that that would be the way you would live your life today. I mean, come on, church. Can we get a praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Paul prays big. He prays with power. He doesn't only pray constantly. He prays for meaningful spiritual progress, one step at a time, one improvement in their posture. And then he tells them, this is what I want you to pray for when you pray for me. When you pray for me and I'm in prison right now, Paul is in prison right now, I don't want you to pray that God would make me comfortable in prison. I'm not here to be comfortable. I'm here because I took a stand for Jesus Christ. I'm here to testify. Now don't pray for me to get released from prison. You remember what he said to the Philippians? He said, while I'm in here, some people out there are preaching the gospel and trying to stir up their own little followers. And he said, but I don't even care. Because from my perspective, all that matters is they're preaching Jesus Christ, and I'm here in prison preaching Jesus Christ, and now some of the members of the household of Caesar are hearing the gospel because they have to listen to me in prison preaching to them every day. That is his posture in prayer. In prison, okay, shoulders back, deep breath, spirit in, spirit out. So he says, pray this for me in prison, that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so I will fearlessly, boldly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. It's a great ironic thing that he says. Ambassadors didn't go to prison and wear chains. They had a lot of immunity in the ancient world. They often wore chains, gold and silver chains, that were decorative as a status symbol of their place in society. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. So pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul prays bold prayers, not weak, shallow, general prayers. How does God fulfill a general prayer? I don't know, because you didn't tell him what you were asking for. God, just help everybody. Well, he does every day. But God, 
give me boldness to speak fearlessly as I should, a specific prayer will receive a specific answer from God. So when he prayed his second prayer in Ephesians, look at the power in it. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. He said, I'm, my posture, I'm kneeling before God, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the way we want to pray. Amen, church? This is the way we want to pray. We still want to pray for the sick. We still want to pray for those who are in prison. We still want to pray for those who have lost loved ones. We pray all the intercessory prayers that we've always prayed, but on top of them and behind them and beneath them, we fill those prayers with specific prayers for boldness that the Spirit of God can give to help people mature in their faith and speak good news regardless of their circumstances. And we pray that for each other. And you pray that for me, and we all pray that for our elders, so that those who are speaking or leading or serving in any way are being prayed for with boldness, with specific prayers for courage. There's some things all of us can do and take away from this. Every one of us has a meaningful step to take, whether your prayer life is already constant or you haven't prayed in years. All of us can add one time to our prayer life to move towards the posture and the strength of constant prayer. We can add one time. When you go to the gym and you can't lift the weights, you add them one at a time. You don't merely look at the weights and say, I can't lift that, so I might as well quit you say, what can I lift? I'll lift that and then add something to it next week. And prayer is, is much the same way. What can I pray? Add one time. This morning when I get up, I'm going to try to remember to pray before I get out of bed, God, help me to see what you have for me today. And add one time. Or in the car, or at bedtime, or at the meal, or whenever. Set an alarm. It doesn't matter. Make progress. You can do it. We could all learn one new kind of prayer. You remember he said pray with all kinds of prayers. Well, what are they? Some of us would love to pray more, but all we know is intercessory prayer. Pray for the sick. You know, Pray that the gospel would advance through the world. Pray for those that have lost loved ones, and we're kind of out there was a period of time in my life when I was young, I was about 11 or 12, where I heard a sermon, I guess. So like many of you kids here today, I heard the preacher talking about pray for everything. Well, I took him quite literally, and I began to pray for everything I could think of at night. We went and visited a museum. We saw all these animals from throughout the ages, different dinosaur bones and things, and I started my prayer that night, God, thank you for the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Thank you for the Brontosaurus. Thank you for the Stegosaurus. About 15 minutes into this prayer, my mom comes in the room. What are you doing? I'm praying for everything. Good luck. 
but can't you see that in God's eyes, if you're trying to add a kind of prayer that you haven't prayed before, it's going to bear fruit. You could pray a doxology. You could read, for instance, from Ephesians 3 where there's a beautiful doxology that we've covered in this series and you could just simply read that scripture and pray it and say in Jesus' name, amen, and it's a different kind of prayer than many of us pray every day. Short and sweet, two verses, really easy. You could pray the Jesus prayer. You don't know what it is, it's okay. You Google it, you'll find it. It's just like this. Dear Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. In fact, could you all say that with me once? Dear Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Let's do it one more time. Dear Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. It's inspired by the prayers Jesus receives from people in the Gospels, like Luke 18, 13. Or you could pray for people to fearlessly proclaim the good news You could just add this one prayer to your repertoire this week. Pray for those who preach here. Pray for those who are the elders. Pray that God would give your ministers and your elders boldness and strength and a posture in the Spirit that's filled with Him so that all of us together could receive from God with boldness each week. You could pray that, and if this church was praying that for its leaders every week, you will continue to see growth and transformation like we experience in God's church. And all it takes is adding just one thing to your prayers. So will you do it with me? Pick one for you that you can grow in. Whenever we come to the book of Acts next month and you read these chapters, you might take a moment to look for the prayers that are in Acts 1 through 7 because there's a couple doozies. And even though I don't have time to share it all with you, I'm just going to tell you, if you read Acts 4 this week and you see Peter's prayer released from prison, he doesn't say, God, thank you for getting us out of that cell. God forbid that I would ever go back to that cell again. He prays with the other disciples around him. uh, Now, Lord, consider their threats to us and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's the prayer of a Christian coming out of prison in Acts 4. So read these and look for the prayers together. Add one to your life. Let's become a people who take hold of the armor of God through the posture of prayer and be prepared. Yeah, you want to do the sword again? Shushing, right? That's Todd's favorite thing to do. Let's stand together this morning. Let's, Let's be on our feet and let's pray this together with boldness that God will answer this in this church community. And if we can pray with you today, our elders would love to pray with boldness over you and with you as you receive this teaching and grow in your ability, wherever you're at, to pray a little bit more constantly, to pray a new kind of prayer, all times, all kinds, every way for all peoples. And so let's say this out loud together and then we'll sing our invitation song. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.